Acts chapter 2. Last week, Brother Long put together a great Christmas inspiration. I actually enjoyed that, believe it or not. And um, I, I do like Christmas, and I do like Christmas music, and I think I get a bad rap. I just don't like all the trappings of Christmas. Um, I'm thankful it's windy where we live, and I can use that as an excuse not to decorate my house. Amen. Thank you, brother. It was good. Um, and to see the young adults Eagles class take up almost the whole choir line, Amen. that was awesome. Amen. So we need to keep singing unto the Lord. Well, my intent in going through the book of Acts on Sunday nights is for us to consider what it looks like to be a church in action. We're to be more than just a group of people who meet together. We are to be a body of believers who are active in proclaiming the message of God's word to the world around us. Now, we've already been eight weeks in this great chapter as we see the church is now empowered by being baptized by the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. And I obviously cannot take the time to recap it all. I would encourage you to listen to those messages if you missed them. But to kind of get us back in the frame of mind of where we are at in this account, remember that as these believers were baptized in the Holy Ghost, they began to speak with other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. This led to some skepticism, causing some to ask, what meaneth this? It led to some criticisms, causing some to mock and to say, these men are full of new wine. And this accusation caused Peter to stand up among the people and explain that what was taking place was really a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy some 750 years beforehand. And he was explaining that that day had arrived when God would pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. And here's the best part, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. And that brings us to where we left off in our text two weeks ago. Peter's now going to go from explaining this is a fulfillment of what God had promised, and now he's going to start preaching Christ. Let's look in our Bibles, verses 22 through 36. Ye men of Israel... Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, and ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, and that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received the Father of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost... He hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. 
For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Amen. So Peter here, in in quoting Joel, he said in verse 21, that it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And now he proceeds to explain to them who the Lord is. Who is this one that we can call upon that can save us? Who is it that all the prophets were referring to? We see from this that it isn't enough to tell people their need of salvation by calling upon the Lord. But listen to me tonight. We must take it a step further and explain who the Lord is. Amen. Listen, you may have been raised in an independent Baptist home. You may have been raised in church your whole life. You may know those things. But I want to tell you, there's people out there that don't know that today. Some have an understanding of who we are talking about. Maybe they were raised in church. Maybe they have a background in the Bible. But the fact, of, uh, the, the fact remains today that many people have never heard. That's hard to believe in America, but that's where we're at. Amen. You may remember a couple Wednesday nights ago, Brother Long was reading Danny McKittrick's prayer letter, Missionary We Support to the Military in Japan. And he was talking about a young man, I think his name was Eric, if I remember correctly, but a young man who had gotten saved in the Air Force there. But he mentioned how that young man raised in America had never heard of Christ. Thirty years ago, we would hear missionaries come through our churches And they would talk about how they were going to a people group that they were called to reach that had never heard of Christ. And I remember thinking, man, that's hard to believe. How is that even possible? They would talk about how people, they never even owned a Bible. Some had never even seen a Bible. I remember thinking, wow. But you know what? That's where we're at in America today. This is where we're at. it's, It's almost, it's hard to wrap your head around that in such a quick period of time. One generation almost. Here we are, and there's people now that have never never seen a Bible. Listen, what happened was we had a generation back there that started to attend, attend a church sporadically. They may have owned a Bible, but they never opened it at home. They probably left it in their car till next Sunday or put it on the shelf or maybe just grabbed a pew Bible. The depth of their so-called Christianity was Sundays only. Well, guess what happened to the next generation? They stopped going altogether. And then the Bible fully disappeared altogether. You see, we can't just tell people, you need to call upon the Lord. But we must explain why they need to be saved by Christ, who Christ is, why He came. And this is necessary because there are so many varying opinions today on who the Lord is. How can one be saved? And it's nothing new. It was happening in Peter's day. There are varying opinions on who Jesus was in the first century in Jerusalem. Some considered Jesus to be seditious. Some called him gluttonous and a wine-bibber. Some called him illegitimate. Some said that the works that he was doing was because he had teamed up with Beelzebub. It's nothing new to see differences of opinion. Even his disciples who believed that he was the Christ was convinced that he was going to bring in the kingdom. 
and take them out from Roman rule and set up the new kingdom and they were going to live happily ever after. They believed that all the way up till Jesus ascended. We saw that in chapter 1. Lord, will thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus says, not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father has put in this. It's like, oh, okay, well, thanks, Jesus. I'm just trying to say there's always opinions of who Christ is. And today there are religions who call themselves the followers of God. And they're deceiving multitudes about who Christ is. How? They deny that Jesus was God in the flesh. John makes it clear that when that happens, it's the spirit of Antichrist. So in leading people to Christ, we must be sure we explain who Christ is, what He came to do. We must explain who we are apart from Christ and why it is that we need a Savior. I'm trying to get you to see, you've got to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. I think it's easy for some of us just to say, uh, you just need to be saved. What does that mean? What does that mean, you need to be saved? I don't know if I should say it or not, but there's religions that are teaching their people how you respond to that question because of us Baptists that keep asking that question. And listen, we've got to go just a little bit further in the day in which we live. We can't just throw out these terms that we're familiar with. Born again, saved. Do you know Christ? And Are you going to heaven when you die? And We've got to go further. We've got to get deeper with people. We've got to get out of our comfort zone and actually interact with people and have those conversations. This is what we find Peter doing in his message on the day of Pentecost. He does not take it for granted that all understood who Christ was. But he makes sure they know who to call upon in order to be saved. If he's going to say, the day's come that you can be saved, now he's going to explain who you need to call on to be saved. Amen. And so he's going to go a little bit further here, and he's going to explain in his message. And and listen, I I think what we do a lot of time is we do take it for granted. And we think that people do know, that they do have a background, that they do understand the Bible. That's not true. That's not true. I told Breck when he first preached, don't think people out there know they're dumb. Talking about y'all, amen, you're not even taking the... Listen, you're going to think, well, who am I to preach? I I can't say anything to these people. They're older than me. I said, they don't know anything. They're not reading their Bibles at home. Amen. Preaching storm's about to come on. Y'all better start saying amen. Listen, where's everybody that was here this morning? Oh, I know the Bible. You don't know nothing. You don't even read the Bible. Boy, I feel like preaching now. Oh, yeah, you tell me that. Listen. Are you really reading your Bible? Hmm? And listen, we're out there talking to the world and we're assuming they know you can't even get church people in the Word of God. Well, praise the Lord. Verse 22, Peter begins his message by saying, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Jesus was a popular name in those days. Jesus is essentially the Old Testament name for Joshua. Still a common name today, amen. Um, listen, if you're an independent Baptist, you've got to have a Joshua and a Caleb in your sons. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tough crowd tonight, I'm telling you. And uh, that's just the way it goes, you, you know. Or you got to have all the same letter, you know, Caleb, Colin, Carter. I mean, you've got you to have these things. 
Um, that's just how Baptists roll. Uh, we got to have minivans out in the parking lot. Okay, anyway. I love it when I go to conferences. It's funny. It's like you can always tell where the Baptist conference is. It's like all these minivans and 15 passenger vans. Yeah, there's, there's the church. I found it. Amen. We can't drive Suburbans in something cool. We got, okay, anyway. Um, see what y'all are doing to me? You're getting me off track. Uh, it was a popular name. It's still a, a popular name today. Paul mentions a man named Jesus in Colossians 4.11. They had to call him Justice. So to be sure uh, which Jesus Peter's talking about, he says, Jesus of Nazareth. And of this Jesus of Nazareth, Peter explains how he was a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves know. So those who lived in Judea at that time, and those in Galilee, of course, they saw Christ's miracles. Wouldn't that be awesome? They saw the miracles of Christ. Peter used this to show how Jesus was God. The miracles Jesus performed were a sign to all that He was the long-awaited Messiah that they had been waiting for all those years. It was the one that Isaiah foretold of in Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Listen, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, then the lame... uh, then shall the lame man leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. What was Isaiah saying? You need to look for this one. When he comes on the scene, he's going to be performing some miracles. When John was John the Baptist, when he was thrown in prison, remember, he kind of got to feeling down. I think a lot of us probably would. He even got to doubting some things, and he sent two of his disciples to Jesus to ask, Art thou the one, or do we look for another? You remember what Jesus said back? In Matthew eleven four 4 and 5, Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus was telling John the Baptist, look, I'm the Messiah. I am the one you've waited for. Just look at the miracles that I am able to perform. It is proving the fact that I am the Christ. Listen, I, I don't know, but you ought to be able to go to those around you and say, you know how I know that He's the Messiah? You know how I know He's the one we've waited for? Because He opened my blinded eyes. He raised me back up to life. He gave me new life. How are you going to be able to preach that? You got to live it. You got to live it. We have recorded throughout Jesus' three and a half public ministry many miracles. There's a lot that's not recorded, in fact. But Matthew 15, 29-31 says, And Jesus departed from thence, and came nigh into the sea of Galilee, and went up into a mountain, and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto Him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet. And He healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered. When they saw the dumb to speak, they, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see. And they glorified the God of Israel. Peter said here, Jesus was a man approved of God by miracles, wonders, and signs. Which we know is true from the gospel records. And there's no denying this fact. 
Even the religious Jews who witnessed Jesus' healing power, uh, they wanted to kill him for it. They saw what he did. They saw that this actually proved he was the Messiah. But don't you heal on a Sabbath day, Jesus. That's why they were mad at him. They wanted him dead. They, they witnessed Jesus casting out demons. But in Matthew 12, 24, I mentioned this earlier, the Pharisees said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Wow. Jesus, of course, said, Can a kingdom divided against itself stand? If I cast out Satan by the power of Satan. Anyway, he totally wrecked their theology. They couldn't deny that Jesus of Nazareth had performed those miracles and those wonders and those signs. And so Peter says, which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. They knew it to be true. In fact, Jesus performed so many miracles, so many wonders, so many signs, the Bible says that they couldn't even record them all. (laughs) John 20 and verse 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. John 21, 25, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Isn't that true? And after Peter establishes, listen, now we're, we're kind of building upon this here. So he's, he's telling them about Christ, and he first establishes who Christ is, the person and ministry, the person and life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And after he establishes that, he then speaks of the sufferings of Christ, his death in verse 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. What is, what is Peter doing here? He's making sure they understand that they are sinners. Listen, we're talking about, if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm talking about tonight leading someone to Christ. All right? He, he first explained who Christ is what he came to do, and now he's making sure you know that you're a sinner, right? Listen, he was crucified. You've taken him by wicked hands, and you've crucified and killed him. He's making sure they understand uh, who they are apart from Christ. He reminds them of the violent death Jesus suffered by dying by crucifixion. The death of a cross was a shameful death. It was a painful death. It was a lingering death. It was a comfortless death. And it was an accursed death. And isn't the wording here interesting? Peter says, ye have taken. Who's the ye? It's the men of Israel from verse 22. They have taken Christ and crucified Him. Peter places the blame on them. But the Jews didn't actually nail Him to the cross. The Romans did. Remember that Jesus told Pilate, Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Well, that ruins a lot of people's theology right there. You mean to tell me that some sins are greater than others? That's what Jesus said. He said they have the greater sin. It was the religious Jews who had delivered Jesus up to Pilate to be crucified, and because they had the oracles of God or the words of God, they should have recognized Jesus as the Messiah, but they rejected Him And as a result, they had the greater sin. But of great importance is how Peter first said Jesus' crucifixion. Get this now. He said it was by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. What is Peter saying? He's, He's letting us know, letting them know as well, that even though it was your wicked hands that took Jesus and had Him crucified, God knew. God was in control. Nothing took this, took God by surprise. This was all by the foreknowledge 
of God. Remember that Jesus is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Peter isn't excusing their rejection of Christ, but he's letting them know that the Father planned it all. And in this we see how God is in complete control of all things. All those events surrounding Jesus' crucifixion. This is letting us know that while they wanted Jesus dead, even though all Jesus did was He went about doing good, the Bible says, Jesus was not taken apart from God's will. But understand this tonight, Jesus willingly and obediently went to the cross. Amen. It's important that you understand He wasn't just obedient, but He was willing to go to the cross for you and I. Remember that Jesus died for all of mankind the religious Jews, and the Romans. When we think about how Christ died, they were nothing but tools in the hands of God. The fact remains, though, that the religious Jews rejected Him. and They had killed Him nonetheless. And and please understand, that's not an anti-Semitic statement. It is a biblical fact. The Bible says in Acts 3, verses 13 through 15, Peter addressed the men of Israel again there by saying, The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified His Son Jesus, whom ye delivered up, and denied Him in the presence of Pilate when He was determined to let Him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Acts 4.10, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Acts 5.30, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Acts 7.52, Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. So while they were guilty of being the ones who actually put Jesus on the cross, I want you to understand, Peter here, he's showing them that they're sinners. But I hope you understand tonight, we all are guilty of putting Jesus on the cross. We're all sinners. He died for all of mankind. And so we're all guilty. We're all sinners. So let's not lose sight that all of the world is guilty before God. But, but here's, the, here's the good part. Why does the Bible say that all the world must be guilty before God? It says so that He may show mercy to all. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Now, having established the person and work uh, of the life of Christ, having established the sufferings and death of Christ, in verse 24, Peter establishes Christ's resurrection from the grave. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. They no doubt heard the rumors of Christ's resurrection. Amen? I mean, they didn't have television back then. And, and they didn't have like the tabloids. But they would have heard these rumors and they would have known that this one who died. And, and remember, we saw earlier in this chapter, this is, this is the devout crowd that he's speaking to. They would have been tuned into this. And, and they would have known that there were these rumors floating around that Jesus had, had been raised from the dead, that he had resurrected. And this is important because Jesus said, there's only one sign I'm going to give you. I'm only going to give you one sign to the unbeliever. And it's the sign of the prophet Jonas. As he was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so also shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so this was the one sign. And Peter says, you know. 
The religious Jews knew how Jesus said he would raise again. Matthew 27, verses 62 and 63. Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. <laughs> I always marvel how they knew more of the scriptures, it seems, than the disciples. Disciples are like, oh, he, couldn't have, he couldn't have risen again. You know, The women come and tell him, and they're still like, uh. and here's the religious Jews that... They're saying, hey, we remember what he said. He said he was going to rise again the third day. And, and it is the resurrection of Christ that gives life to our faith. Without the resurrection of Jesus, we, he would have been found a fraud. We would have been found liars because here we are preaching the resurrection. And the Bible says that if all we had was hope in Christ in this life, we'd be of all men most miserable. What was Paul talking about over there? He's talking about if we don't have the resurrection, what do we have? We've got nothing. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 14 through 17, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are also found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised of Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, then your faith is in vain, and ye are yet in your sins. <laughs> Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. And one day he's coming, O glorious day. Amen. Peter said Jesus was raised up. Why? He said because it was not possible that he would be holding of it. <laughs> now that's amazing to me. How do we make sense of that? For one, it was naturally impossible for Christ to stay dead because of his divine power. He was part of the Godhead. He's God the Son. He's God in the flesh. He is the Prince of life. In him is life. Also, I like this, it was legally impossible for Christ to stay dead because God's justice had been fully satisfied. Whoop. Christ paid the debt He did not owe. But when a debt is paid, there's freedom. And listen, this is probably the most important in, in this context. It wasn't possible for Jesus to stay dead scripturally. Scripturally. Peter's going to explain that in the following verses. We'll look at that at another time. But Peter's going to reference David's prophecy. But there's more than just that scripturally when we talk about Jesus could not be holden of death. Psalm 22 clearly speaks of Christ's crucifixion through the first 21 verses. And then you get to verse 22 and it says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation while I praise thee. Well, how's Jesus going to sing in the midst of the congregation if he's dead? He just died in the previous verses. He's on the cross in Psalm 22. And he says, I, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I'll praise thee. Isaiah 25, 8. He will swallow up death and victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord has spoken it. He swallowed death up in victory. Amen. Isaiah 53, 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. But listen to what it says. He, speaking of Christ, shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper 
in his hand. Even though he died, there was the prophecy that there was going to be these people who would come to know him. Hosea 13, 14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. So this is why after Jesus resurrected and he was talking with the two returning from Jerusalem to Emmaus, remember what he said to them? He said, all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And then he says this, in Luke 24, verses 45 and 46. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Why was he not able to stay dead? Because the Scriptures foretold of it. And God cannot lie. God keeps His Word. So in the beginning of Peter's sermon here, we find that in pointing people to Christ, telling them to call upon the name of the Lord for salvation, it is first necessary that we explain who Christ is. He spoke of Christ's life and ministry. He followed that up by talking about Christ's suffering and His death. And he follows that up with Christ being resurrected from the grave. And so we need to be sure when we're pointing other people to Christ, and I hope that you are, that when we're pointing others to Christ, that we're doing a thorough job of explaining who Christ is. The reason that Christ came, the reason that He suffered and died, which was why? Because of our sinfulness. And how Christ rose again, proving Himself to be victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And that He is God in the flesh. Now, when we're, when we're leading people to Christ and we're trying to tell them what Christ has come to do, it doesn't mean that it has to take a long period of time either when I say be thorough. It really depends on the situation, amen? Sometimes it'll be necessary to take longer than others. But isn't this amazing here that Peter gives them a full gospel presentation in three verses? And if I did my math correctly, it only took 83 words. Well, I'm just too nervous to talk to people. Can you say 83 words? Can you give three verses? Anyway, they did have previous knowledge, so the depth will vary depending on the situation, of course. I'm just saying it isn't enough to simply tell someone that Christ lived. Explain why He lived. It isn't enough to say they need Christ, but explain why they need Christ. It isn't enough to just tell someone Christ died for them, but explain why Christ died for them. Do you hear what I'm saying? Don't take it for granted just because you were raised in church that they know what you know. They don't. We can't just ask, do you know Christ as your Savior? But we have to ask, how do you know Christ as your Savior? I'll never forget the first time that happened to me in Mississippi. My wife and I were raised Southern Baptist, which means we didn't really stand for much. <laughs> okay, apparently I just offended 95% of the church, but... <laughs> We go to Korea, and thank God, we go to Korea, and we get introduced to an independent Baptist church, and a church, and we realized that we had a lot of growing to do. And when we got to Mississippi, we we found an independent Baptist church. And when we when we got to that church, they had Saturday, you know, soul winning, and we would go knock doors and all this kind of stuff. And and we go and we start knocking these doors, and they teamed us up with a fourteen year old girl. What's this girl going to be able to do? 
So we're out there knocking doors. And she's like, I'll show you how it's done. Good, because I don't know what I'm doing. She knocks on the door. Folks come to the door. She gives the whole spiel. I'm from Grace Independent Baptist Church, blah, 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 blah. You know. She asked him, do you know Christ as your Savior? And he said, yes. And she said, do you mind if I ask you how you know? A 14-year-old, I thought for sure I was about to get my butt kicked, amen. I'm like, I'm not with her, amen. I, I, I don't know her. I was just coming to see if you needed a subscription to a magazine, amen. I, she just got here before me. And you know what? That person who said they knew Christ had no answer. And right there I learned, it's not enough to just say, do you know Christ? How do you know Christ? I had this conversation recently with somebody, and I nearly got my head bit off. As soon as I asked that question, do you know Christ? You know I do. How do you know Christ? You're just being judgmental. All I did was ask a question. How is that judgmental? Now, I can get judged. Okay, anyway. Um, so anyway, listen, we, we've got to go beyond just, do you know Christ? We, we've got to go deeper. It, it, but it's uncomfortable is what I'm telling you. I was much younger then, but I remember just being completely uncomfortable. I think I was 21. And, and I remember watching this teenage girl run laps around me and my wife on talking to people about Christ. And I was scared of what somebody would think. I mean, how offensive to ask somebody, how do you know Christ? We've got to go further. And that was 23 years ago. And so many people today have never even heard of Christ. But that's where the tensions begin. That's where the sparks begin to fly. When you go just a little bit deeper and get out of your comfort zone. But listen, we must accurately preach Christ to all the lost. You say, well, how come? Because eternity is at stake. Do we believe what this Bible teaches about heaven and hell? If we do, we need to be more thorough. Now, as I said, every situation is unique. It'll have its own set of questions to address. Some areas we may have to go into greater detail than others. But be sure you are rightly presenting Christ. Peter is showing us what it looks like to be a church in action. Talking about who Christ is, what he came to do, why he came to do it, and that he rose again. A church in action will preach to the skeptics and the critics. And, and we'll leave it there, but we'll, we'll pick it up next time. But how is your witnessing to other people? Let's pray.